Good morning. John gave me free reign to speak on any topic or passage I wanted, so I've chosen one of my favorite parables. But before I get it, let me just ask the Lord's blessing. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight, our Lord, our Redeemer. Amen. I've chosen the parable of the dishonest manager. Some Bible versions call it the unjust steward, the shrewd manager, the crooked manager. At any rate, we have a shady character in this parable. The late German pastor and theologian Helmut Thielicke pointed out that the characters in Jesus' parables don't wear halos. Rather than superheroes, they are ordinary folks from everyday life that we can learn something from. And this crafty manager in this story is an example. The text in verse one says, Jesus was speaking to his disciples, but further in the passage, we see that the Pharisees were listening in and they were scoffing about Jesus teaching on money and stewardship. So verse one gives us the background and I'll kind of walk us through the text um, as you see it on the screen. There was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. So we have a wealthy man, a manager in charge of this estate. This is not the only parable where we get a landowner or a wealthy person putting someone in charge and then taking off on business. So perhaps this is the, this is the background for this story. Um, the manager may have come back and found this out. This parable falls into kind of nice four scenes. So here's scene one, and this is the, uh, this is the, the landowner, the wealthy man's office and he's called his manager in. Verse two, and he called him in and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in your account of your management for you can no longer be my manager. So the master calls him into the office, mentions that he's been getting some bad reports about how this guy's been handling his affairs we don't know the details of what he was doing. He was perhaps making poor investments, um, spending his boss's money carelessly, or maybe using his master's wealth to his own advantage. It doesn't tell us whether he's guilty or not guilty, but uh, these were the charges, and uh, the wealthy man has decided his job is over. So he asks for the accounting books, tells him to clean out his desk, Turn over the keys of the company car. This is going to be the last day of his job. Scene two, verse three. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking away the management job from me? Scene two, the manager now back at his desk, stunned and shaken by this sudden turn of events. He's asking himself the question, what am I gonna do now that I'm losing my job? What am I gonna tell my wife? He's sweating now. Anybody been there before, losing a job? He begins to consider his options. He probably realizes that his bad record and reputation of poor management 
is not likely to get him hired by anybody in the community. The word will be getting around. But he says, I'm not strong enough to dig. He wonders about the possibility of getting a manual labor job, but he's been sitting at a desk for all these years and realizes that he's not in any kind of shape to do hard labor. So he quickly rules that option out. And I'm ashamed to beg. It's not hard to imagine that part of this mismanagement included spending his boss's wealth on extravagant living. Maybe his reputation in the community is all about these wild and lavish lifestyle in his, at his master's expense. So the thought of him standing on the street corner with a tin cup begging for money is unthinkable. Then he gets an idea, stands up, yes, I've decided what I'll do, he says, so that when I'm re removed from my management, people may welcome me into their houses. Suddenly the light comes on, he jumps up from his desk, a smile on his face now, I know what I'll do. After I lose my job, I'll be received into the homes of my friends in town. Scene three. Scene three, we have the manager's office and his desk. The other side of the wall is the waiting room for his office. In this scene, it says here in verse, uh, the next verse, so summoning his master's debtors one by one, so they're coming in sitting down in this waiting room, looking very anxious, very concerned. You see, what happened was he had called them all in immediately and wants to talk to them. One by one, he calls them into his office. To the first man, he says sternly, how much do you owe my master? The man responds, a hundred gallons of olive oil. The manager says, well, that's exactly what my records show. But just between you and me, don't mention it to anyone. Scratch out the 100 and write 50, and I'll sign it. There are expressions of gratitude, a warm handshake, and the relieved debtor uh, exits, uh, exits the room. He calls in the next guy and says, and how much do you owe my master? The man replies timidly, a hundred bushels of wheat. The manager says, you don't have to mention this to anybody, but how about reducing it to 80 me measures or bushels, make a note of the discount, and then I'll sign it. And so it went until the waiting room is emptied and all the debtors have exited on cloud nine. Does anybody use that anymore, cloud nine? <laughs> they were elated. Their burdens, the debt of their burdens was lightened. Scene four. Now this is the surprising scene in this parable. This scene is back in the master's office and the manager is there. It says here in the text, verse eight, the master, the master commended the dishonest manager. Just a minute, did I, mis did I misread that? Is that a typo? No. It should say he condemned the dishonest manager. What a shocker. Until we read the rest of the sentence. He condemned, he commended the dishonest manager 
for his shrewdness. Not for his dishonesty, not for his shaky or shady dealings during the last part of his job, but for his shrewdness, sharp-wittedness, quick thinking, cleverness. The master could see now, maybe for the first time, that his manager, although acting selfishly, was starting to think about the future. Perhaps the master is telling him, hey, I knew you had it in you all along. That's why I hired you in the first place. Here's the important point. He was investing his master's resources in relationships, in the needs of people in the community. That's the end of the story. But Jesus makes an observation, and then he summarizes the main point of this parable. The observation is in verse 8b. Jesus says, For the sons of this world, or this age, are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. What does this mean? This is food for thought. The message version puts it like this. Streetwise people are smarter in this regard than law-abiding citizens. They're on constant alert, looking for the angles, surviving by their wits. But I think rather than law-abiding citizens, sons of light actually means the children of the kingdom, God's children. People who are just watching out for themselves can sometimes be smarter, more intentional, more prudent, more creative and resourceful than God's people who have a far greater cause, God's purposes in the world. This means that we can learn some valuable lessons from people in the marketplace who don't know God yet. You know, I'm often inspired by my hardworking, can-do attitude, creative, problem-solving passion of my neighbor who doesn't serve God yet. Sometimes I ask myself, do I put that much energy, effort, and passion into my ministry as my neighbor does with his work? Jesus is telling his disciples, I want you to be smart like that guy, but for the right motive and for the cause of the kingdom. And then Jesus gives his conclusion so we don't miss the point of this parable in verse 9. He begins, and I tell you, listen up, heads up, get ready for the main point of the story. Here it is. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. The New Living puts it this way, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. With my particular bias, I like to put the word international in there. Make international friends for yourselves. You know, God has entrusted each one of us with an abundance of resources, time, abilities, and opportunities. How many of you out here speak English? <laughs> That's the world language, the lingua franca. They call it globish. 
How many people in our city and beyond would love to have an hour or two of your time helping them learn English, American slang? How about your table, your dinner table? Was there a space at your dinner table for one more person to be invited? Jesus tells us the story. Use what God has given to you to bless others. Invest in people. Invest in relationships that will last into eternity. So when your resources and opportunities are gone and your time's up, you can expect a warm, heavenly welcome. You know, this congregation is involved in a, a wide variety of ways of investing in people. Thank God for that. Uh, I'm only familiar with some of them. But the most familiar ones are the ones closest to my heart that investments made in international students who've come to our city. Let me just close with three stories. Before we came to this church, one of our Indonesian students came to faith, and he was looking for a good church, so we said, you know, check out that church on Mercer Island. So he did. He came over here, and he found his way into one of the adult, he was about 20 years old, found his way into one of the adult home groups. Ray and, and uh, Louise Gripman, Mike Adams, some of you remember those names? Well, that home group had a significant influence on his first years, his formation as a new Christian. Today, Hendra is back in Jakarta, a successful businessman, but his passion is being a leader, a pastor elder at his church, the Jakarta International Christian Fellowship, and doing marriage counseling and all kinds of things together with his wife. So God has blessed him He's blessed them through just the care and the welcome of a small group in this church. Ray and Gay Brooke welcomed Felix, a Seattle University grad student, into their lives. Felix thought of himself as a bicyclist until he took a ride with Ray Brooke. <laughs> Toward the end of his stay, Felix uh, had one more quarter to go for his degree, and he ran out of funds. And Ray and Gay said, no way you're leaving this country without a degree, uh, without a master's degree. So Ray went, negotiated with the university, uh, started a, a, a campaign that would raise funds and raise enough money to help Felix finish his degree and went, went home with that master's degree. That deep friendship and love will be a mark of the kingdom for the rest of Felix's life. Over the years, we've had many barbecues and baptisms at the home of James and Doris Kassan here on the island. COVID has been a very difficult challenge for them, as you may know. Two weeks ago, we asked them if we could have an event for students at their place. And they said, okay. That Saturday, when I drove over to their house with the stuff for the barbecue, I was surprised. Their home completely covered and taped in preparation for painting and other house jobs. And I couldn't help but wondering how many of us under those circumstances would have said, no, not now, sorry, we're, we're in no position to have guests on our property. We've got so much going on with our house right now, maybe next summer. But that's not James and Doris, thank God. Let me leave with this question. Do you want to be greeted in heaven with hugs and high fives? 
Put your time and energy and whatever God has entrusted with you into people around you. And you will receive that kind of warm welcome in eternity. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the opportunities that are all around us. Thank you for the things that you have put in our hands to use to serve others with touches of your love and your truth. Thank you, Lord, for what this church has done and people are doing here in this congregation to invest in the lives of people. May that continue to grow and flourish as you give us more time. In Jesus' name, amen.